You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. How's it going, church? Hope you're good. Good morning. Um, excited about today and, and the baptisms that are going to take place. Excited to see what God does uh, in your hearts today. Just excited in general about what God's been doing. How many of you were here last week? Um, what God really moved in an awesome way. Um, it, was, it was awesome to see and awesome to be a part of. And uh, the thing that's been on my heart, though, is that, um, and we talked a little bit about this last week from 9 to 11, but is that we don't try to live in that, that experience, but that we recognize that we have an opportunity for an experience with God every day. Um, every Sunday that we gather, every day of our lives, we have the opportunity to experience God in a real way because God is alive. God is living. Um, he's not uh, some mute, dead idol that uh, we just worship and, and have no interaction with. But God's alive today. Are you glad that God's alive today? That he speaks to our hearts. That, that we can have a personal relationship with him. That he keeps all the stars in place. That he keeps earth spinning. He keeps all of those things taking place. But he also um, comes to us and knows us individually and personally. And so um, my prayer is today that God would speak to your heart today. Um, and, and to challenge you, encourage you to have an open heart to receive what God wants you to receive uh, from his word as, as we speak through this or teach through this today, um, that you would hear his voice. And so um, we're going to continue our series today called Built to Last. Um, this series is all coming out of 1 Peter chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one at our next steps table. Um, we'd be glad to give you a Bible if you do not have one. Um, but first Peter chapter two, today we're going to read verses one through five, and then we're going to jump into it and talk about, um, what God has for us today. And so let's read those verses together and then we'll pray and get going. It says in chapter two, verse one of first Peter, as Peter's writing to Christians, um, that are scattered throughout Asia, he says, therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray and get going. God, thank you so much for your word. God, would you come now and empower your words. Let your words be heard today. God, we just ask that you would move in a mighty way in us and then move through us, through your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, how many of you have ever been to church, been to a church and, and I feel like this will be a lot of people. It was quite a few at nine. But and you, when you walked in the doors, you just didn't feel like you belong. How many of you have ever had that experience? And maybe just a bad church experience and you felt like you didn't belong. Um, I, I have had that experience too. Um, I personally feel like that should be unacceptable for the church. I feel like we should be a place where people can uh, come and they can feel that they can belong, that they can feel that they are loved, that they can feel the presence of God. And, and I remember when I was about six or seven years old, uh, we didn't go to church much as I was growing up, but I remember my mom one day decided that we would go to church and we went to a church that we visited and um, I went to the Sunday school class for the kids. And 
the teacher, I guess, you know, knew I was new, so she came over and sat down, and I was coloring a picture, and we started talking, and so um, I decided it would be a good idea to tell her a joke, right? Um, I mean, we were getting to know each other. I thought, I'll tell her this joke. I really want to tell you the joke badly, but it's not exactly a Sunday school joke, and so when I told her the joke, she, she was kind of like, oh my gosh, and, uh, and so um, I realized at that point I had done something wrong. Um, that that uh, my sense of humor maybe was not appreciated the way I thought it would be in that situation. And so um, when my mom got back, of course, my mom was informed about me telling this joke. And I think it was kind of embarrassing to her. And, uh, and, and I certainly didn't feel like it earned me any favor points, you know, with the teacher. And so we ended up not going back, um, at least not for a long, long time. And so um, I say that to say this, that we've all been in that situation before where maybe we just didn't feel like we belong. Maybe we were just in a place where um, we just felt like these people are very different from me. I don't belong with these people. And, and many times that's people's church experience. And when that's their experience, many times they won't come back. Many times they don't give God another chance. And the thing I can tell you is that when people walk through the doors of a church, if they feel that they don't belong, they feel like they're in a place that they can't belong, then immediately walls are going up. And the thing that we need to see is people's walls coming down. We need to see people's walls coming down so that they can experience the presence of God, so that they can come in and, and, and encounter the presence of God. And today what I wanna to talk to you about is the fact that we belong and see, church is not a place that we go. Church should be a place or a people that we belong to. Church is not a building. It's not a place that we just attend. It's a people that we belong to. It's a people that we give our lives to. Um, we give our lives to Christ and we surrender our lives to him. But here's a reality and here's a spiritual truth is that you cannot belong to Jesus and not belong to his church. It's a spiritual truth that we need to understand. I understand that people have had bad church experiences. I understand that um, people have been hurt in church, but the reality of it is God's plan for redeeming the world is still the local church. It's still us to use imperfect people to transform the face of the earth. If you look at this text in 1 Peter chapter 2, what you see is a sense of belonging. You see that he's talking about like living stones, we're being built into a spiritual house. In other words, we belong together. God wants to put us together in a way that brings him glory, in a way that's glorifying to him. Not that people walk in or are in, in awe of a building, but people walk in and they're in awe of the people who are in the building. That people are in awe of the people who are in the community serving and doing things in the name of Christ and showing the love of Jesus. That's what we're called to do is we belong to him, but we also belong to each other. And people can come in and find their belonging in this place. Now, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, though, is how do we get to this place where, where people see this as a place to attend or a place to go, but they don't see it as a people to belong to? I believe the problem with that is this, that we've established that culture, that that's the culture that's in the church, and it's just a place that I go to, but that's kind of it. I give God an hour of my time a week to go and do the right thing, to do the thing that I ought to do. And then after that, I don't do anything else. It's, it's just that simple. And instead of it being a group of people that I'm living with, that I'm sharing life with, that I'm walking through life with, it just becomes something that I do once a week. And that's become very common um, to us. It's so common that it's our normal in the South. It's just what we do. And the reality of it is God wants more for us than that. 
It's not that he wants something from us as much as he wants something for us. He wants us to know the power of doing life together in the church, the power of living together and walking through life together as, as the church and the power of the glory that is seen when the church is what it was designed to be, not somewhere you attend, but a people that you belong to. And I was thinking about this and why is that culture existed? And I believe one of the reasons is because we've established a culture, we as in the church, the Big C Church, have established a culture that tells people that they, they're to come in and be consumers rather than contributors. Typically the way church operates is we look at one person, the pastor, or we look at a group of people, the staff, and say they're the ones who get it done. And the reality is that is so unbiblical. As you read in this text, it talks about that we're to be a holy priesthood. That means that every one of us are ministers of the gospel. Every one of us are called to be a part of reaching people with the gospel and helping them grow up in Christ. And so we're not here to be consumers, we're here to be contributors. But what I find is that people are very quick to easily just become consumers of ministry rather than contributors to the ministry that's being done. And we need to examine our hearts and see, am I being a contributor or am I just being a consumer? What am I doing um, as far as the ministry of the church is concerned? Because again, the church is Jesus's hope, the God's hope of redeeming the world. He, it is the light of the world to shine before people so that they can see who he is. Another one that I believe has happened is that we begin to believe that the church is only for a certain people. And this is sad, this is very sad that people would look at a church and say, well, only certain types of people can go there. It's only for people that dress a certain way or, or have a certain job or have a certain level of income. When the reality of it is the church should be a mixture of everybody. It should be all types of people coming together, black and white, rich and poor, um, people from all different backgrounds of life that should be coming together, living together, loving together, all together centered around the gospel of Jesus and bound together by the power of the Holy Spirit, living and doing life with one another in a way that is um, obvious to the world that there's something different about us. And I believe this, that's the church that God's called us to be. That's the church that God's called us to belong to, but people have to find their belonging. I believe also that one of the problems for us is that people believe that they can't bring their wounds into the church. People believe that they can't walk in broken or hurting because certainly those people don't have problems. And the reality of it is we need to live our lives transparently and in security of Christ, knowing that I don't have to be perfect to be loved. I don't have to be perfect to be loved by God. God certainly didn't come to me. Jesus didn't die on the cross because we were all perfect. He died because we were all sinners and we needed to be redeemed. We needed to be bought back. We needed to have our sins paid for. And so that's why he did what he did. There's no one in here who's perfect. There's no one in here who would ever come into the presence of God on their own merit. We need to realize that it's okay to not be okay, but the power of the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to not have to stay that way. And so we can walk in imperfect, we can walk in with wounds, we can walk in with hurts, and we can share those hurts with people that we grow with and we've grown close to so that we can be healed. The problem for us many times is we won't open up our hearts and let the light of God shine in, let the light of Christ and the Holy Spirit work in us so that we can be healed. The reality of it is that that's what we should be able to do as the church. Another reason this culture has been established is because it's just easier and it costs less. It's just easier to be a consumer than it is a contributor. It's easier to, to live our lives the way we want to live them rather than coming before God and offering our lives as a sacrifice to him. 
and saying, God, I'll do whatever it is you want me to do. It's awesome when somebody walks in my office and they say, listen, I'm here to tell you this. I'm willing to do whatever it needs to be done. You can give me the worst job. You can give me whatever you want me to do, but I'm here to serve in whatever way it happens. That tells me right there that they get it, that they understand, that they realize what we're doing. And we've got to realize what's at stake. The reality of people seeing God is what's at stake, that God wants them to be able to look at his church and see the reality of who he is. That means, listen, he's talking about you and he's talking about me. He's talking about people being able to look at us and how we relate to one another in our flaws and in our imperfections, but in the way we're growing in Christ and that they can see who he is because of them looking at us. That only happens through the working of the Holy Spirit, but that's what God wants to do in us is to be able to create that. I'm going to give you three things today that I believe are huge and are important if we're going to be the church that people walk in the doors and they feel like they belong. The very first one is accepted. People have to feel accepted. People should be able to walk in and feel accepted by Christ. In, in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says in verse 5 that you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Why? Because it's through Jesus Christ. And see, I already hear the objections that are going to come. Well, well, preacher, you can't just accept people like they are because they've got sin. But I've got some, my own objections to that. Because see, my first objection is this, well, if we're going to talk about sin, let's talk about your sin, right? Because the reality of it is you got it too. And the reality for us is we need to realize that we're not perfect and nobody that walks through the doors of the church is going to be perfect. The second thing we need to realize is that if we're walking in sin as we pursue Christ, um, that sin is going to become less and less because the reality is, and another spiritual truth is this, that you cannot pursue Jesus in sin at the same time. You can pursue sin or you can pursue Christ, but those are two opposite directions, two opposite ways of living. And so we can trust that. uh, 1 John 3, 6 tells us this. Anybody who truly knows Christ, anybody who's living in Christ will not continue to sin. It doesn't mean that we all become perfect. What it means is if there is a habitual sin, a continuing sin in our life, that conviction will come and then we're going to turn away from that sin. The third thing that happens when when we do this is we realize that sin needs to be confronted. It's the most loving thing that we can do as a church is to go to people who are stuck in a habitual sin and continuing to sin and say, listen, this isn't right. This is harmful for you and it's harmful for the people around you. And we've done this on numerous occasions and it's received different ways. If people are stuck in pride, then it's never received well. But if people are humble and they're willing to humble themselves before the Lord, it begins to restore things. It begins to restore relationships and families. It begins to restore marriages. When we're willing to receive the truth that I need to be corrected. And it's important for us to have the right heart when we do this. If our heart in this is, well, we're gonna get them and we're gonna tell them sinners that they can't be doing that, then it's not gonna go very well. Our heart in this has to be to restore and to heal and to help the broken become well. That's what Jesus came to do, is to restore us to a relationship with God, and that's what we're called to do, is to help other people be restored to that same relationship. I want you to see what this looks like out of the book of Romans. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there real quick. Romans chapter 15. Go backwards a few books, and you'll find it. It's in Romans chapter 15. 
And we'll run through these, this text pretty quickly, but it's verses one through really seven. It says in verse one, it says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. When we accept people, what we begin to do is we begin to see their weaknesses and we begin to take our strengths and it says we bear with them, meaning that we begin to support them in their weakness as we have a strength that can help them. It doesn't mean that we kick them when they're down. It means that we support them when they need supporting. It means we walk with them through what they're walking through and help them to see that there's a better way than the way they're going. Verse two, it says, each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. And that's exactly what he's telling us, is we should look to do good to our neighbors, not that we should be men pleasers, but that we should look to do good to our neighbors so that we can strengthen them and build them up so we can help them grow in Christ. But so many of us are so self-focused that we can't even see the weakness or the need that's in our brother or sister in Christ. And we've got to be able to look at this and say, I'm going to help build them up. I'm going to help give them strength. I'm going to help them do what they can't do on their own. It says in verse three, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Basically, those three verses, verse three and four, can be summed up in this, that Jesus is our example and scripture is our example of how we ought to live this out. That Jesus was the one who came and did not um, set himself up for a position. He didn't use his strength to keep people down. He used his strength to humble himself and to begin to serve other people and to begin to raise us up rather than keeping us down. It would have been so easy for Jesus to have come to earth and looked at us and looked down our, his nose at us when we were imperfect and we were stuck in our sin, but he didn't do that. He humbled us and served sinners so that they would be able to then be built up and brought out of the sin that they were stuck in. And that's what we're called to do as a church, not to look down on people, not to look at them as if they are lesser, but to begin to lift them up. It's not a right and it's not a, a, a reason for people to be stuck in their sin. Grace is not a crutch for us to limp along stuck in sin. Grace is the power of God to lift us up out of sin. But we're called to be a part of that grace to help people get up out of their sin and get, get unstuck as God uses us to help break those chains in their lives. Verse five and six, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 5 and 6, he's just telling us, have that mind of Christ. In other words, he's going to tell us in verse 7 what this is, the mind of Christ. Accept one another then as Jesus Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. So accept each other as he's accepted you. Think about this. Think about how patient God's been with you. Are you glad today that God is a patient God? Because I'd have killed y'all a long time ago. You know what I'm saying? I wouldn't have put it up with me either. I would have gotten rid of all of us and started over. I mean, he's got the power to do that, right? If he created it all one time, he could create it all again and create it even better, right? But since before time began, God knew the plan. He knew what was going to happen. 
And so he made a way for us to come back to him. And think about the patience that he's shown. I think about the patience that God's given me. I think about his kindness. I think about his patience. I think about his long suffering. I think about his perseverance with me. And, and I realize this, that it's his goodness and his kindness that has led me to repentance. And if it hadn't been for that patience, I never would have made it. And the thing that we've got to do is still be patient with the people who aren't there yet, just as we're not there yet. We've got to realize that we are in progress. We're in process just like everybody else around us and that we need to offer God and accept each other the same way that Jesus has accepted us and love each other. And I believe this, I believe that when we are accepted and brought into the, the church and we're brought into a relationship with Jesus, that that acceptance leads to life transformation. I don't believe it happens when somebody walks through the door and is turned off because people are so snooty that they can't, um, be, they can't even feel like they belong. I believe that it's when people walk in the door and they feel like they can belong that they're able to encounter the power of God. And that's what God's called us to do and what God's called us to be. And we... Let God change their heart because that's something that we cannot do is change their heart. Look back there at 1 Peter verse, or chapter 2. So the first thing that's got to happen, belonging means three things. The first one is acceptance. People have to be accepted. The second one is purpose. People have to find purpose because this is our purpose. As I said, the church, the local church is God's hope for redeeming the world. It's his light in the world. And so when we look at this, the second thing that we find is purpose. And I want you to see this purpose in verses one through five there in first Peter chapter two. First one is verse one. He says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. Our first purpose, our first call to action is to rid ourselves of the old life of the old way of living. That's what he's saying. If you notice there in that text, then all of those verbs, all of those words actually are words that, that mean um, getting a relationship right. Those are all words or sins that take place against one another. Basically what he's saying is rid yourselves of the old life of these things so that you can have right relationships with your brothers and sisters. Get rid of these things. We've got to first of all rid ourselves of the old life so that we can have relationships that are according to what God wants us to have so that we can relate to one another in a loving way. And he's really telling them, and, and if you study this and study the whole book of 1 Peter, what you begin to see is he's telling them to think back to their baptism. He's telling them to think back to when they, they symbolically went under the water and they came back up and they were cleansed um, by Jesus and symbolically that baptism represented that cleansing. I was studying and it was kind of funny because I came across where in several different places that talked about how people would um, literally in, in those days, they would oftentimes when they were baptized, strip off their old clothes, get down to nothing, um, in some cases naked, right? So I didn't say naked like I used to, I said naked. And, and here's, they would strip down to nothing. They would go into the baptismal water. They would be baptized and come up. And the first thought that I had was, if this were to happen, it would make baptisms a lot more interesting for a lot of y'all, right? <laughs> and all y'all wouldn't be leaving during baptisms. You'd be like, I gotta stay and see this. <laughs> but what they would do is they would go into the water. They would take off those old clothes. They would come out on the other side and they would put on new clothes. And it was symbolic of this new life of taking off the old life and putting on the new life. And that's the first thing that God calls us to do when we come to faith in Jesus is that old life is gone. Now we put on the new life. 
this new life that God's given us. The second one out of verse two, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you've tasted that the Lord is good, the second thing and purpose that we have in the church is to grow up, is to grow up. So many of us are still infants in Christ, but we've been around the church for 20 years. It's time to grow up in our salvation. It's not just talking about being saved so that you're going to heaven. It's talking about growing up in salvation, meaning that we are becoming like Jesus. We should be growing up in our salvation, growing up to look like Christ. And he says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. That pure spiritual milk represents the word of God. He's saying, crave the word of God. Go after the word of God. Here's the reality. Sometimes you just have to discipline yourself to be in God's word. You just got to read it. Sometimes it's, it's, it's the best thing you've ever done. And sometimes you just have to make up your mind, I'm going to do it because it's the best thing I can do. And we need to realize that and begin to do it. And he says, crave it. Like newborn babies crave pure milk, crave the word of God. See, when I was about to have kids, everybody, there were nobody really told me what it was really going to be like. Because people tell you all the good stuff, right? They're like, oh, it's so great. There's nothing like it in all the world. There's nothing, it's just the most amazing thing. They didn't tell you you're going to be peed on, puked on, and pooped on, right? They didn't tell you that them little jokers have to eat every two hours. And they're like, it's the greatest thing. Well, you know what? Sleeping two hours for six months is not the greatest. And that starts, like when you start feeding them, the two hours start. By the time you get them fed, it's like you got maybe 30, 45 minutes. I'm like, this is crazy. And so we need to realize, though, what he's saying is that crave it. You know, you'd start to doze off and then you hear, and then the, that sounded more like a goat than a baby, but, <laughs> but you get the point, is that we, we should be in a place where we're craving this pure spiritual milk so that we can grow up in salvation, that we can grow to be more like Christ. And he says, this is our motivation that we've tasted that the Lord is good. So when we come to experience him and we continue to experience him, we talked about this some last week when we have an experience with the Holy Spirit and we're experiencing God, what begins to happen is we, we, we encounter him and it's so good to us that we want to continue to pursue. Not every day feels like a mountaintop, but when I think back to my experiences with God, it makes me want to continue to pursue. It motivates me to want to continue to experience him. And so I continue to go after him. I continue to press in even when it doesn't feel like the thing I want to do. Those experiences with God, those tastes of God make us want to continue and keep going. Verse four, he says, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. He's telling us as you come to him, the, the little phrase there, it actually is a continuation. It doesn't mean as you come to him one time. It means as you continue to come to him. So another purpose that we have after the fact that we rid ourselves of the old life and we, we um, finally start growing up in Christ is that we continue to come to him, that we continue to come. It's a constant approaching him. Verse five, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so when we look at this one, we see that we're being built into a spiritual house, that that's our purpose. Our purpose is found in Christ, in his church. 
to do the things that he's called us to do. See, here's the thing that you've got to realize and I have to understand is that we have been called, we have been gifted by God, we have been put in position. When I think about this, what I see in my mind is I, I, I see a master mason taking these blocks and putting them together to build this, this huge, huge building that's just magnificent. And that's what God is saying through this scripture, what he was saying through Peter is that Jesus wants to build you together. He wants to grow you up in the church in such a way that when people look at the church, they're in awe and wonder of the church. That when people come to the church, that they experience the power and the presence of Jesus. That's what God wants for us. That's what God wants us to be, is that from the moment people drive on the parking, uh, or into the parking lot, the moment they walk in the doors, the moment that they walk into the auditorium, the moment that they come to church, they begin to experience the power and the presence of Jesus. That's what he wants, that we're a people built together, held together by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that when people come through the doors, that's what they experience. People think they're coming to church. They think they're coming to a building, but what they're coming to is a gathering of people who are alive in Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit so that what they begin to see and experience is God himself. Not some, not some just building that's dead. I believe this with all my heart. It should be a place that's alive. It should be a place that's enthusiastic, a place that is hungry for more of God. And when people walk through the doors, that's what they experience. See, that's why we have people parking. That's why we have people greeting. That's why we have people at Next Steps table. That's why we serve our kids is so that they can experience the power of God. But we want people to be able to walk in and know that they're accepted, know that they belong, and know that they can let down their walls so that the power of God comes into their lives and begins to transform them. And then they have an encounter with God, and then we introduce them to the real church, which is the people, which is you. And we walk with them through life, helping them grow up in their salvation. So we've got acceptance and we've got purpose. The third one, the last one, is identity. They've got to find their identity in the church in Christ. See, when we come to Christ, he gives us a new identity. We're made a new person. We're no longer what we were. We become something new. When we do baptisms, we celebrate the newness of life. We go under one person. We come up a different. That's what it's symbolic of. Is newness of life. And so when we do this, we, we need to see that God gives us this new identity. He gives us a new um, way of living. He gives everything to us as new. It, it, the Bible tells us that he who's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. It's one of my favorite verses because it reminds me that when I came to Christ, I became somebody different. I'm no longer that person. That old self has been gone. It's been taken away. And so now I can live in a different way. Those, the, the, the chains of sin and the bondage of sin has been broken off of my life so that now I can live in a different way. I've been given new life, and that's our identity. If you look at verse 5, he gives us a, more of a, a, a view of what that identity looks like. He says, you also like living stones. The first thing we need to see about who we are is that we're spiritually alive. The Bible tells us that before Jesus, we were spiritually dead. But in Christ, now we've become spiritually alive. We are spiritually alive people who have the Holy Spirit in us. For some, we need to fan into flame the Holy Spirit that's inside of us through prayer and reading his word and worship and, and, and pursuing him. But the reality of it is that if you are in Christ, you have put your faith in him, you have become new. And the way you became new is that you were made spiritually alive through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
You're spiritually alive, like living stones. These stones he's building this church with, his church with, are not dead. They're alive, just as it says he is alive in verse 4. Another way that we see this in our identity is that we're being built into the church. He says that we're being built into a spiritual house, that built to, we're being built together in Christ and held together by his spirit. What this whole thing is about, that we belong together. We're better together than we are apart as the church. We can't let little things divide. We can't let little things come in between because we're bound together and around something that's much more important and much more powerful. The gospel of Christ and the Holy Spirit who holds us together. He tells us that we're to be a holy priesthood. Holy meaning set apart, different, other. It means that we've been called to be set apart for the work of Christ as the priest. The priest in that day did the ministry. They, they did the sacrifices. They did all of those things that, that we're called to be the ministers, all of us. We don't look to one person who speaks on Sunday to do everything. We realize that we're all called to be a part of it. If we're going to become what God wants us to become, it's going to take everybody doing their part, using their gifting. And that's what God calls us to do. It's a part of who we are. It's also a part of our identity in that the people whose lives are are lived or are for Jesus, not for us. Are we, that was so screwed up, I apologize. But we begin to live our lives for him, not for us. If you listen to this, it says offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we give our lives to him. That's our worship, that's our offering to him. It's us, all of us, that he gets every bit of us. And so we see that our identity is completely wrapped up in him and completely wrapped up in the church that we belong to. Not that we're just attending or just a part of or just dating the church. We, we're, we're called to be in covenant with God and his church. That's what he's called us to do and to be. I want to end with this, with some things that I believe identify ourselves with Jesus. And with his people, these are ways that we identify ourselves with him, that people look at us and see him. One of those ways is in our community, like our connect groups. That's why we do connect groups, is so that people can be in community with each other. And so they come and they, they, they begin to get in the word together. They begin to pray together. They begin to walk through life together. And people can see Jesus in that community. Another one is in our worship, in our laying down of our lives. Also, when people walk in and they see authentic worship of people authentically worshiping, engaged in the music, engaged in the word, engaged in serving, engaged in loving, engaged in praying, engaged in reaching out. Another way is in our generosity. See, Jesus gave everything. He gave all. God gave his best. When we're generous people in the church, outside of the church, what people see is a heart that's not for self, self, living for selfish motivation, but a heart that's living for God and for other people. Another one is that we live in service, in service to God. Service goes so much against the grain of what the world tells us, that everything's about us. Service shows that our hearts are for other people and our hearts are for the kingdom. I believe this in our service in the church that we should have to turn people away from serving because there's so many people wanting to serve. But the reality is that typically we end up having to beg people to serve. And that shows me that there's still something wrong with our heart. That we need to be a people who long to serve his church and serve his people and serve in the community. 
Another one is that in our sharing of Jesus, our sharing of our testimony, our sharing of what God's done in our lives, people identify with Christ through us sharing uh, the word of God with them, the gospel, the good news, our own testimony of what God's done in us. People identify with us in all of those things are ways that people identify us with Jesus. It's our love for him that is played out and displayed in all these different ways. But it's a life that's completely offered to him. Another way that we identify with Jesus and we say we belong to the church is what, what we're going to do in just a minute, and that's baptism. That's what baptism is. It's, it's, it's us identifying with him. And I'll tell you this. I can tell you how you know if you need to be baptized. The very first thing you have to ask your question, or the question you have to ask, three questions. Number one is, is Jesus my Lord? And if Jesus is your Lord, and if you surrendered to him as Lord, then answer is yes, right? He's my Lord. The second one is, is he my Savior? Is he my Savior? In other words, am I trusting in Jesus for my eternity? The third one is, have I been baptized as a believer? Have you been baptized as a believer in Christ? Some of us need to get our baptism on the right side of the cross. Some of us were baptized as, as unbelievers. But the Bible, the, the model, the example, what the Bible teaches is that we're baptized when we come to faith in Christ. So is he your savior? Is he your Lord? Have you been baptized as a believer? If the answers are yes, yes, no, then the re reality is it's time to be baptized. It's time to be baptized. It's one of the clearest things that God gives us, so much so that it almost doesn't even involve having to pray about it because it's such a clear command in here. That he's my savior, he's my Lord, I haven't been baptized. Oh my gosh, I need to go publicly before the church and identify myself with Christ and say that I belong to the church uh, or to Christ and that I belong to his church and that I'm gonna be a part of what God's doing in and through his church. It's identification with him. I wanna be very clear though that listen, the water doesn't save you. Don't come up here and be baptized thinking that that's gonna save you. If that's what you feel like it's going to save you, listen, that's wrong. This is a celebration of what's already taken place in you. The newness of life, the cleansing of God, going from death to life in him. That's what we're celebrating. But this water doesn't save you. I've said it at every baptism I think we've ever done. But if you come up here and get baptized, it's just a wet sinner going to hell. I mean, I'm just, this is the easiest way I know how to put it is that we come to faith in Christ and that's what saves us. But in baptism, we celebrate people going from death to life. We celebrate the cleansing of the blood of Jesus over their life. And we celebrate their obedience to Christ in obeying his command. And we celebrate their belonging to Jesus and their belonging to the church. And so that's what we're gonna do right now. Right now, today, we're going to baptize people and celebrate with them all of those things. But especially, they're going from death to life in Christ, spiritually alive. And so here's what I want to do. If you're being baptized today, I'm going to ask you that you would right now get up and come to, your, to the front. I'm going to ask you, if you're being baptized, today's the day of your baptism. I'm going to ask you to get up and come to the front. Some of you knew today you were going to be baptized, and you, you know that now is the time to move. Others of you, maybe you didn't realize that today God would put it on your heart to be baptized. 
but the reality of it for you is that you know today's the day that you should be baptized. We've got clothes, we've got towels, we've got everything that you need to be baptized today. So I'm asking you, today's the day of your baptism. Today you're getting baptized. I'm gonna ask you to get out of your seat, come to the front and be baptized, amen? You come on up. Let's do that again. That was kind of weak. Let's do that one more time, church. It's something to celebrate. Amen. We're going to take them out, let them get changed. While they're changing, listen, we're going to continue to worship with a couple of songs. And I'm asking you to stay to celebrate this. Um, to be a part of this. We'll get you out of here um, by 12.15, 12.20. Um, so listen, let's celebrate this together as something that God is doing and, and something that God's doing in people's hearts. Um, as they change this worship, let's pray and then we'll jump in together. God, thank you so much for your life, your love, your grace in us. God, we thank you for those who have gone from death to life by faith in you. And God, we just celebrate um, that through their baptisms. God, I pray that you would work in every person's heart. If someone's far from you, God, I pray today that you would draw them near. And God, let them know that they have a place they can belong. In Jesus' name, amen.